Good morning. And he is risen. Woo! Now that's a reason to shout right there, right? This morning, I'm, I'm so excited to bring this message because I feel like the Lord wants to offer us such a promise of hope and a promise of life. And, you know, at the beginning, half of you weren't here, but Pete and Cheryl did a little video and Pete was talking about, he had never heard the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's such a basic story. So today we're going to talk about that, but, but we're going to talk about how we can truly live, how we can live lives that are fulfilled and purposeful and hope-filled and live in freedom. How many of you want that? Just half of you. What do the rest of you guys want? I should take a poll. <laughs> well, he has risen. So today, I want to tell you a little bit about this story. But before we do that, would you pray with me and for me? Oh, Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your goodness. We're so grateful, Lord, that you always provide a way for us. Lord, we thank you that you're not an evil taskmaster who just demands that we just do all this service, but that you long to have a relationship with us. Lord, you yearn for intimacy with us. And we thank you for the message of the resurrection and the hope that lies within it. And we just bless you and we lift up your name today. We thank you that you are risen. And because of that, we shout. Yeah, it's okay. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) You guys are like... (laughs) Today I want to talk a little bit about about the promise of life and some of the obstacles that keep us from attaining that, obtaining that. And also, um, we're going to have a song at the end that's going to kind of punctuate this message. Angela Winston's going to sing, so... Yeah, you're going to be blessed, I promise. So the message today is entitled, Because He Lives, We Too Can Live. And when I talk about living, I'm not just talking about just maintaining or just kind of subsisting or just getting through life. Jesus' promise to us is found in John chapter 14, and I want to set this up a little bit. Uh, The story of the resurrection, or as some of you know it, is Easter is the story that is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the first four books of the New Testament. You can find this story throughout all of them from four different perspectives, which is kind of cool. And so um, at this point, John was kind of like Jesus's right-hand guy. And so this is coming from his perspective. So I'm going to use a lot of the text out of the, chap- uh, out of, um, the book of John, Today, And I would suggest if you've never read the Bible, this is a really good book to start with because it really helps you to kind of unwrap who Jesus is and get to know him better. But this is before the plot to kill Jesus had even begun. And Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. They're having a meal together. And he is talking to them and he's trying to prepare them because he knows his future. He knows what's going to happen, but he's trying to prepare their hearts. But they really didn't catch on very well. They they didn't really understand what he was saying, the depth of what he was saying. 
but he was talking about the fact that he was going to go away, but that he, was, he would return to them. So it says in John 14, 18, it says, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. Can you say that with me? Since I live, you also will live. What a great promise. And when Jesus is talking about living, he is not just talking about just this average life. I heard a a pastor say um, that we're in a resurrection day generation living in in a Good Friday world. We have the hope. And today... Hopefully, if you are a skeptic or if you don't believe you've never heard this message, I'm hoping to be able to convince you of the truth of this, the veracity of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. In John 10, he says, yes, I'm the gate. Those who come through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's the purpose for which Jesus came, to give us a rich and satisfying life. How many of you want that? It's, you know, it talks about, in some translations, it says it talks about having an abundant life or having a fulfilled life. But this is a a life that is filled with purpose and with hope and with joy and with peace and with trust and with blessings, not just, I got to get through another day. It's not like that. It's a rich and satisfying life. In John 3, there's a story here, a man named Nicodemus, who was a Jewish religious leader, who was a Pharisee. After, uh, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, said Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Now, this is the first time Nicodemus has ever heard this concept. We've we've heard of it, the born-again Christians, you know. But this is the first time he's like, what are you talking about? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. See, Jesus is offering that rich and fulfilling life, that satisfied life, But he's also saying that we have to be born of his spirit, born of the Holy Spirit, or we will not be able to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, there's one obstacle that holds everybody back, and that is a disease that we all have, we're all born with it, and it's called sin. Sin. And I want to bring a little different perspective today, because I think so much of the time when we hear people teach about sin, It's just like, 
they're condemning us and they're putting us down and trying to make us feel bad and manipulating us and making us feel ashamed and guilty. None of those things are from God. None of those things. It says in Romans 3.23, this is just the fact. It says, for everyone is sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are what? He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Now here's a little different perspective I want to give you. We aren't sinners because we've sinned. We sin because we're sinners. You get that? We're not sinners because we've sinned. We sin because it's in our nature. We are by nature sinners. It's hard to, hard to accept that, huh? We want to think, no, I'm, I'm a good person. But it says in Psalm 51, 5, it says, I was born a sinner from the moment my mother conceived me. So if you're wondering, if you're sitting there wondering, wow, I wonder if I've ever sinned. Let me just ask you a few questions. <laughs> How many of you have ever lied? Okay, the ones with your hands still down, you are doing it right now. Anybody ever said anything derogatory about another person? Anybody ever stolen anything? Anybody had a lustful thought? Don't raise your hand if you're married. <laughs> Anybody ever stretched the truth? Not paid their taxes? Gone into work late and pretended like you were there early? Been envious? Any of these? For all have sinned. All. We're all in the same boat. We all have the same disease. We were born with it. And the coolest thing is that Jesus knows that about us. And yet, with undeserved kindness, it says that he provided the way. See, the thing is that there had to be a sacrifice because we cannot stand in the presence of a holy God if we still are guilty of sin. Because God is holy. He can't have wickedness in his presence. And the only way that Jesus provided for us to be able to stand in the presence of God Almighty was when he went to the cross and shed his blood for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we could be the righteousness of God in Christ. That we could be righteous in his sight. We can't, you know, we have this really weird way of thinking. We think that somehow we're going to be able to work our way to heaven. Like we're going to be good enough, right? I want to paint this little picture for you. Imagine you go out, you have this credit card and it doesn't have a limit and you go out and you charge a grillion dollars worth Okay, that's a lot. It's more than any of you can calculate. So you charge a grillion dollars on this credit card. And then you kind of start thinking, maybe I should pay this off. So you go in to make things right. And they say, oh, yeah, well, we see here you have a balance of a grillion dollars. And you think, well, I'm going to start to do good works. I'm going to work it off. I'm going I'm to try to pay it off little by little. Surprise, you could go the rest of your life and you still might not make it. 
You could go the rest of your life without ever sinning. You could do all these good works and work your tail off. And still, it would not offset the grillion dollars that you charged. Grillion dollars is representative of sin. But somehow we seem to think we've done all these horrible things, thought all these horrible thoughts, said all these horrible things, and yet we think somehow, you know, I'm going to make a meal for my neighbors. <laughs> That's, that'll kind of offset it. Well, not if, not if you're my neighbor. <laughs> there are people who are really good at that, but you know what I'm saying? Or... I'm going to go down and serve at the homeless shelter. Now, all you Draperites, you actually probably should do that because we kind of have a reputation we have to offset. I don't know if you guys knew about this whole homeless shelter thing. But anyway, but going to the homeless shelter and serving is a great thing. But that's not going to win you your way to heaven. Or you think, you know what? I, I'm going to go and I'm going to give all my money to the poor. That's awesome. Great. If that's what the Lord's calling you to do, but that is not what's going to win you your way to heaven. The only way to win your way to heaven is to find a cure for this terminal disease that we have, this terminal disease called sin. And here's the thing that gives me so much hope. When I read the Bible and I read about these great heroes of the faith. Let's talk about Abraham for a minute, okay? Think about Abraham. What does the Bible call him? The father of faith. He's the father of faith, right? That's a pretty powerful title. But think about his history. He received a promise that he, was gonna, he and his wife were going to have a child of promise and that his descendants were going to be greater than the stars in the heavens. And then his wife gets to be... 90, I don't know if she had gone through menopause yet, but she's 90, still hasn't had a baby yet. And he's pushing 100. So his wife's like, I think you should go in and sleep with our maidservant, Hagar. Conceive a child that way. I think that's how God... So Abraham, the father of faith, says, okay, honey, (laughs) somebody's got to do it. So he goes in, he sleeps with his maidservant. Was that how God had planned it? No. But yet, the Bible calls him the father of faith. Are you starting to feel a little better about yourself? <laughs> I know it helps me. It was encouraging. Then there's Moses. You know, God asked him to lead the Israelites. And he's like, I'm not so good at talking. And so Moses is kind of basically saying no to God. And yet, he is the one God chose to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Then we have Gideon. The Bible says of Gideon, he was a mighty man of valor. When God first approached him and asked him to lead this army, Gideon was like, no way. First of all, he doubted it. And so he did this whole thing with the fleece. And then he hid. I mean, the guy was scared. He was terrified. But the Lord called him a mighty man of valor. Then we have David. This is a whole movie in itself. David, what does the Bible call him? A man after God's own heart. The dude was, he was a luster. He was an adulterer. He lusted after this woman, Bathsheba, who was not his wife. And then he had an affair with her. Well, they call it an affair. He committed adultery with her. And then he set up this whole plot to kill her husband so that it looked like he didn't do that. 
because she became pregnant. He is a man after God's own heart. I mean, how many of you, well, don't raise your hand. I know you've all lusted, so I don't have to ask that one. But how many, no, don't answer this second question. Some of us have committed adultery, but I doubt if there's a whole bunch of us in here that have murdered anyone. See, we're, we're doing pretty well, aren't we? <laughs> Relatively speaking. But God doesn't grade on a curve, which is such a relief. Now go to the New Testament. Think about Peter. Jesus, okay, so let me give you a little background in the story here in case you've never heard it. Jesus was God who came to earth in human form. He lived a perfect life, sinless life, and then he was falsely accused, and he was scourged, and he was tortured, and he was beaten by these professional torturers. The the flogging that he experienced, that the leather strap, it had rocks in it and glass and pieces of metal. I mean, it wasn't just like they whipped him with this leather whip. It was brutal. This is Jesus who's perfect, who has never sinned. And they proceeded to, to call him names. They mocked him. They continued to beat him. And he said to one of his disciples early on, his name was Peter, and he said, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. Peter's like, no way. I would never deny you. So guess what happened? Three times before that. Three times Peter denied him. And yet... God, who is so gracious with undeserved kindness, he referred to Peter as the rock. Not the Dwayne Johnson type, but the rock. (laughs) That was like his homie. I mean, that was like Jesus' guy right there. And yet, we would look at that as an absolute, utter failure. Wouldn't we? This is the secret. Jesus already knew that we had this terminal illness called sin. And yet he continues to draw us. He continues to accept us. He continues to forgive us and to love us regardless. And he gives us a new name. When we're born of his spirit, when we're born again, he gives us a new name. I was hesitant to do this, but I, I, I just... I felt like I was supposed to share just a little bit about my story with you in case there's anyone here and if you can relate to it. I grew up in Minnesota in a home and we religiously attended church every Sunday, but I really wasn't born again until years later. I I like to say that I came to Christ on the installment plan because I had different things happen throughout my life. Um, with the culmination of, um, I backpacked through Europe. I went on a choir tour and, and in Norway, and I almost died. I had meningitis, and I almost died in Norway. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, as I was laying on my deathbed, I started to cry out 
because I knew, I, I knew something was going on. I thought I had a cerebral hemorrhage. And I started to cry out and I said, God, I know I don't deserve heaven. Because at the time, I was dealing drugs, I was promiscuous, I was a partier, I was a compulsive liar, I was a kleptomaniac, I was bulimic, I was um, name a sin, and that was me. And yet, on the outside, I had it all together. You know, I, I graduated from this really prestigious college, and, you know, I just had it all together. But inside, I was so broken. And so I knew that I did not deserve heaven. I knew it. And so I prayed and I said, Lord, if you let me live, I will serve you. And I would like to tell you that I immediately began to serve him, but I got sidetracked by a Swedish guy named Sven. And (laughs) so cliche. And so that messed me up for a while. But then I went and backpacked around Europe for nine months looking for the meaning of life because I was so broken and so empty. And when I came back, after nine months, I got on my knees and Jesus revealed himself to me. I just began, I recognized I was a sinner and I needed a savior and I could not save myself. And so I just got on my face and cried out and the Holy Spirit just met me. Shortly thereafter, I... I met a crazy guy named Eric Van Rie, and um, I had the privilege and the honor of leading him to Christ, and he was a powerhouse. He was a fireball, and I led him to Christ, and um, then we got married shortly after that, and then we moved out here in 1999 and planted the church in the year 2000, and a year ago, he passed away unexpectedly of an aortic aneurysm, and that is not the happily ever after story that I would have written for my life. You know, I I would have written it way differently. We both would have lived well into our 90s and we would have served the Lord until our dying breath, but God had other plans. And I'm so grateful. Even though I miss him and... Some days I don't know how I'm going to go on. I still know that my God is a God of hope. And hope does not disappoint because I trust that he holds my future. He knows my future and he knows your future. And he has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. It says in Romans 3.25, it says, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they, what? When they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who had sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus and this is our only cure for our illness. It is the only cure for our terminal disease of sin is to believe 
that Jesus Christ sacrificed on the cross, that his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And yet we continue to doubt at at all of our different levels. We doubt because, like in my case, thinking, wait a minute, that's not how I wanted my life to go. But here's a clue. If you disagree with God, guess who's wrong? (laughs) Raise your hand. This is a story about a doubter. You've heard of him. I mean, he actually (laughs) lives on in infamy because he's the doubting Thomas. It says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. So Jesus was tortured, crucified on the cross. And let me just explain a little bit about what crucifixion was. Crucifixion wasn't just like they nailed him to the cross and then he hung there until he died. Crucifixion, first of all, they they flogged him and tortured him within an inch of his life. Then they forced him to carry a cross all the way up where where they ended up nailing him to that cross. And at the time... When you die of of crucifixion, you die of asphyxiation because, you know, your your lungs can't fill up. So there was a little stand like on the bottom and they would push their legs up so they could get a breath to sustain them. Now think about Jesus had this torturous flogging on his back. And every time he would lift up to take a breath, he would scrape his back along this. It wasn't like this, like that. It wasn't like sanded down, and it was like a like a unfi- unrefined wood. So he would just probably get more slivers in his wounds. It was excruciating. That's where the term came from, from cross. It was excruciating. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could live, so that we could be healed and cured of this disease. And it said that they kind of wanted to get this thing going. So typically what these soldiers, now keep in mind, these soldiers were professional executioners. This is what they did for a living. So they didn't just accidentally leave Jesus alive. Their job was to ensure that he was dead. So they kind of wanted to move this thing along. They wanted to get to the Passover. And so they they went to him to see if he truly was dead. And they stuck a spear in his side and out came water and blood, which, I mean, there's all kinds of medical terminology that goes along with this, but it's a sign that he had died. He was dead. And therefore, they did not break his legs. Because typically what they would do is they would break the legs of the soldiers so that they couldn't lift up and breathe anymore. But because Jesus was already dead, they didn't break his legs, which fulfilled one of the 322 prophecies that spoke about the coming of Jesus throughout the Old Testament. 322 prophecies. Guess how many of them came true? 322. What are the odds that even one prophecy would have come true? What are the odds that two? How about five? Let's really stretch 10. 
322. They talked about how he would be born, where he would be born, um, how he would live his life, how he would die, all of these things, including this prophecy about breaking his legs. It says that they did not break any of his bones because he was already dead. And there have been so many people intellectuals throughout history that have set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because what happened was they crucified him, they placed him in a tomb, and three days later, he rose again. Woo! Yeah. Three days later, he came, he was out of that tomb, and he came and he revealed himself to his followers. But so many atheists and agnostics and intellectuals have tried to disprove the resurrection of Jesus because if you can disprove the resurrection, Christianity is a joke because it all hinges upon the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Have you guys seen the movie A Case for Christ? It's a story of Lee Strobel. He was a journalist for this uh, Chicago Tribune, I think. Anyway, He was this up-and-coming journalist, and his wife became a believer through a tragic event that had happened in their lives. And he set out to disprove Christianity, and the thing that continued to trip him up was the resurrection. Because over 500 witnesses claimed that they saw Jesus after he was resurrected, after he was raised from the dead. over 500 people. And so some people try to say, oh, well, it's the swoon theory where, you know, Jesus seemed like he was dead on the cross, but he wasn't really dead. And so then he came back to life. And some people say, oh, well, those 500 people, they were all hallucinating. Because, you know, whenever you hallucinate, like 400 and some other people usually do, right? At the same time. I mean, there are some ridiculous, ridiculous theories. And I just challenge you, if you're a skeptic, if you're an atheist or a non-believer, I challenge you, Try to disprove the resurrection because it is the single most verifiable historical fact in the history of the world. I mean, how many of you believe that Abraham Lincoln lived? What about the rest of you? (laughs) Are you guys so tired? You can't, oh, I can't raise my, oh. (laughs) How many of you we're around when Abe was, was walking the earth. <laughs> okay, but you still believe it, right? But there are far, far fewer people that would verify that he lived than that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. So, Thomas wasn't around when Jesus revealed himself to some of his followers. And it says, they told him, we've seen the Lord. Okay, now think about it. Thomas is like, "Mm, pretty sure that's not true. (laughs) Right, you guys. He's thinking they're hallucinating probably. It says, but he replied, Thomas replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly... As before, so this is the second time this has happened, Jesus was standing among them. Check it out. It says the doors were locked, but Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, 
he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. I feel like this is the word of the Lord for some of you. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. 322 prophecies. Every single one. 320. I didn't even want to try to tell you the number of the odds of that. It was like 185 with 100 zeros over something. I don't know. Math. But it's ridiculous. The odds. And many, many, many people have tried and failed. And interestingly, most of the people who try to disprove the resurrection end up coming to Christ because the evidence is overwhelming. The second thing that is true, besides the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, is that we are all broken. We are all in need of forgiveness. Every single one of us. For all have sinned, All have fallen short of God's standard. And when Jesus says, don't be faithless any longer, believe. To me, that is clear evidence that faith is a choice. That we can make the choice whether we're going to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Or whether we're going to believe ourselves. Because ultimately, those are the only choices you have. Either you believe what you think or you believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Believe in him. It says in John 20, 30, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. And that by believing in him, You will not only have life, or you will have life by the power of his name. This is the life that Jesus wants to offer each and every one of us, no matter what level we're at. When Jesus went to the cross, he said, there are the seven sayings of Jesus. You may have heard of them, but the sixth saying was to telestai. And we don't have a perfect word for this, but what it means is, is it is finished. Means the project is done. It's paid in full. This is when Jesus comes in and says, I know that Mike owes a grillion dollars because of all of his sin, but I paid it all. It's paid off. Paid in full. That project is done. Jesus was saying, what I came to the earth to accomplish I have accomplished. And remember back in John 14, it says he came to give us a rich and satisfying life. It is finished. Because he paid the penalty for us. He took the torture and the abuse and the mockery instead of me. 
and instead of you. That's why he went to the cross. And not only did he do that for us, but he overcame the power of sin and death when he was raised from the dead. Yeah! Woo! (laughs) And this is why grace is so amazing. Like, we seriously cannot comprehend it. We're like, wait, what you're telling me is that I don't have to continue to earn my way to heaven? No. It is finished. He paid it all. Don't be faithless anymore. Believe. Believe. It's a choice. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is God in human form, it will change your life. You can't believe it and then continue to not follow him. There's a story of a man named Dick Hyde, and he has a son named Rick. And when Rick was an infant, um, he had the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck, and he became severely disabled with cerebral palsy. And the, the experts recommended that they put him in an institution because they said he's, he's just going to be like a vegetable. But the Hydes decided, no, we believe that we can, that there's a human being in there. And they started to watch his eyes and they started to realize that he actually was extraordinarily intelligent. So they got him this specialized computer and everything. And anyway, Rick encouraged his dad to do an Ironman with him. So his dad biked with him for how long is it? hundred miles. Swam with him for, with him on his back. And then ran a marathon, which is 26.2 miles, pushing his son. This represents what the father does for us. Guess who we are? Give you two guesses. The first one doesn't count. (laughs) We're the ones in the wheelchair. You know, it says that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, it said that he... He had compassion on them because they were helpless and hopeless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's how Jesus looks at us. Not to look down on us, but to set us free from our shame. See, that's one of Satan's favorite tools is shame. Shame keeps so many of us paralyzed. Because Jesus paid it all to Telestai. Paid in full, it's finished. But yet the enemy wants to go, yeah, but remember what you did? Remember what you thought? Remember what you said? You scumbag. The devil does not want us to walk in that freedom. The devil does not want us to believe that Jesus is good. He does not want us to believe that God is for us. Shame is a lie. If you are born again, if you have received the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offered on the cross, you are set free. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. It says in Hebrews 9.22, According to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. See, back in the time of the Old Testament, 
they, they had to bring in a sacrifice that was, that was um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm sorry? Yeah, that's not the word I was looking for, but yes. They had to bring in a perfect sacrifice based on what the sin, the particular sin was. So if it was a little sin, you just had to bring in a little turtle dove or something. And if it was a big sin, you had to bring in an ox or any, anyway, they brought these things in and they had to sacrifice them for their sins because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So what God did when he saw that we were hopeless and helpless is he sent his own son in human form to come and to be that sacrifice for us. And that is why when Jesus was on the cross, his blood was being poured out for me and for you. Don't leave yet. Stand back up. And I just, there's, there's three groups here. You're going to fit into one of these categories, so I'm not going to leave anybody out. The first group, you just love Jesus so much, but you want to go deeper. You want more. You want to live that rich and satisfying life. I'm going to pray for all three groups. So there's that group. The second group, you used to be in the car with Jesus, but you got out somewhere along the way. Or you moved over into the driver's seat. And Jesus is inviting you to come back and let him take care of you and let him be your Lord And be the one who rescues you. And then the third group of people, you've never been born again. You've never known him. And you're curious. And if that's you, we actually, um, we want you to, I'm going to pray for you now, but we would like you to text us because we want to have a conversation with you. We are convinced Jesus is alive. And Jesus is in the business of changing lives. That's, that's the purpose for which he came. So as we go into prayer, I just want you to think about where you are in that spectrum. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much. You are so good. Lord, all your ways are right. All your ways are just. All your ways are faithful and perfect. And Lord, we thank you that it is finished. We thank you, Lord, that on that cross, you paid, paid the price. You paid for our grillion sins. Lord, you paid it all. Lord, and for those of us who are born again, and we know you, and we want to just go deeper, Lord, we just, just lift up your hand if that's who you are. We just lift our hands up to you as a sign that we want to go deeper, Lord. We want more of you. We want to walk in that rich and satisfying life. Lord, we do love you. We declare that we love you and we believe you. But Lord, we don't want to be faithless any longer. We want to believe. And so we lift our hands as a sign to you, God, that we're serious and we want to go deeper with you. We want to surrender more. We want to know you more. Lord, and for the second group of people, just like Cheryl said in that video, you, you used to know him. You used to walk with him, but you've walked away. And you're not living that rich and satisfying life, and, and you desire that. You desire to come back and be reconciled with God. If that's you, can you just raise your hand just between you and God? You just want to really live a life that's sold out for him. 
Lord, I pray for these, God. Lord, that hunger and that thirst for righteousness, Lord, they want to know you. Lord, they want to be reconciled with you, God. I pray against shame. I pray against the lies. I pray against the the accusations of the devil or of uh, the history in their own lives or of their own self-talk. I stand against that. Instead, Lord, I speak your blessing. I speak your freedom to these. And the third group of people, you're the ones you have never received the forgiveness that Jesus freely offers you on the cross. You've never been born again, and you want to be. Just ask if that's you today, to be faithless no longer, but to believe. Just raise your hand just as a sign that you want to know him, that you want to be born again. That's awesome. That's awesome. Lord, and you, you know the hearts of these people, Lord. You know who they are, and you know their future. You know that you have plans and a purpose for them. I just pray, Lord, that you would surprise them with your faithfulness to them as they go about this week. Lord, that they can be born again of your spirit. Fill them with your spirit. Fill us all. Can you all just lift your hands now at this point? And Lord, we we do ask God, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with more of you, Lord. Every single one of us, God, we want to know you more. We want to go deeper with you. And we bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Now, if you are someone who who has some questions, we want to take you out for breakfast or lunch or dinner or coffee or putt-putt golf or something. And we want to answer your questions. Okay, so if you could text this number, text BELIEVE to 801-876-1020 and someone will follow up with you. And we want to hang out with you and have a conversation. And next week, we're starting a series on how to live the teachings of Jesus in the 21st century. So it's just some practical application of the truths of the Bible. So before you leave, can you hug three people and tell them to have an awesome day and that he is risen indeed. Amen. God bless you.